every election ever. And beer. Don't forget the beer. <laughs> I, I, I said and beer. You did. You did. I'm just saying, don't forget it. I don't, did. Yeah. I like beer so much. You can't leave that out. <laughs> How you guys doing? I'm good. Doing good. I'm excited about this one. It's going to be a good. Show. Listen, this is like the first the first episode where the, the Clintons are finally on the scene. <laughs> Y'all, I wish you could see Scott right now. He's like waving his microphone around like he's Phil Donahue or something. It's pretty. Eddie can see it's me. Pretty damn hilarious. It looks right. It does. It does. <laughs> Did you guys watch Phil Donahue when you were growing up? Well, who didn't? But I got to tell did? you, the, you know who was better than Phil Donahue was. Phil Hartman as Phil Donahue. Oh. He was better than Phil Donahue. God rest his soul. I mean, he was incredible. Total genius. Troy McClure, Lionel Hutz. Yeah, so many good characters. Yeah. So today's episode, the election of 1812, yep. and it's the Democratic-Republican president James Madison versus DeWitt Clinton. Dude, first of all, since when have you done research? And second... Wikipedia, right here, baby. <laughs> and second... <laughs> We got to talk about the beer first. What are you drinking, dude? <laughs> I am so sorry. And today is the day. Eddie, take it away. Well, let's hear about y'all's beers first because yeah. I have kind of a long, involved <laughs> research. Heavy. You going to talk about your Miller Lite? Why are you drinking a Miller Lite again? You damn wife beater wearing son wine. of a gun. <laughs> I'm a macro brew guy. You got to at least pour it into a glass. Tell that us how that Miller Lite tastes. The carbonation. Tell us how that Miller Lite tastes. <laughs> There's a story behind every beer, right? And I have one. First of all, it's not a beer, it's a cider again. I apologize. Oh, my God. Yeah. Listen, I know. We're going to start calling you Cider Matt. <laughs> Scott and I happen to cheer for a certain team that's north of Eddie, the Tennessee Volunteers. And this week, yeah. this past week, they happened to clinch a bowl appearance for the first time in maybe the Trump era or before. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, it is. It is. It is. So it we're is. going bowling, baby. And because of that, I have, an, <laughs> I have a cider by Austin's East Cider called Blood Orange Cider because I bleed orange, baby, and we leave it on the field. And I got to tell you, it's delicious. I actually heard that that was a good cider. It's really good. It's really good. I'll probably finish it all. Are you sipping it out of a sippy cup like a child? <laughs> <laughs> You're a jerk. All right, let's 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 jump to the real beer. All right, I have finally, after much time, the Thomas Jefferson beer that I brewed. This is brewed from Thomas Jefferson's beer recipe. We're excited. We can't wait. And we have a name for it. We had a contest on Twitter, and we asked people to suggest names. And there were lots of good ones, but we came up with Thomas Jefferson's Blood of Tyrants Pale Ale. Ooh. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Shout out to Chris Pandolfo. Oh, my God. That's perfect. Shout out to him again. Let's hear his name again. A shout out to Chris Pandolfo, who writes for The Blaze. He came up with Blood of Tyrants. Yes. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, it's a little bit more mean than, than Matt's cider's name. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll release, we'll release actually the beer label too soon. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be awesome too. Ooh. Yeah, Matt made a killer label I for did. it. It's awesome. Not to brag, but it is oh. awesome. Yeah. All right, I got a little bit of a story on my beer. Okay. Uh, if you guys don't mind. Please. I'm really excited to drink it. I've been waiting all day. I haven't tasted it yet. And to be honest, 
it could be gross, so I have a backup <laughs> beer just in case. Where's the where's the confidence, Eddie? <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if this thing is going to be carbonated. I just have to take on faith that my carbonation worked, but whether or not it actually worked, I don't even know. We believe in you, Eddie. All right, so a lot of what I'm about to tell you is from a phenomenal book called Charlottesville Beer, Brewing in Jefferson's Shadow. It's a book by Lee Graves, and some of what I'm going to tell you is from a journal article by Gay Wilson called Beverages for the Table at Jefferson's Monticello. Martha Jefferson was a brewer, and there was a room at Monticello devoted to just being a brewery. They took this room, they made it into a brewery. But Martha died pretty early on, like 1782. Uh, So this is before even the ratification of the Constitution. She dies, uh, Jefferson goes, and he does public service in France. He's gone for a long time. He comes back, he's got a lot to do, he's President of the United States. But after his presidency, right about that time, Jefferson, having retired from public life, goes back to Monticello and becomes, put a drum roll in right here, got it. a brewer. He believes that whiskey, which is the most popular drink in America, it's amazingly popular, everyone is drinking whiskey, wow. he believes that it is a scourge on the nation. He said, I wish to see this beverage, beer, become common instead of the whiskey which kills one-third of our citizens and ruins their families. So Jefferson brings a professional brewer, a guy who is basically a refugee because we're at war with the British, and this guy is a British brewer, but he's stuck in America. And so Jefferson brings the guy to live at Monticello, and in exchange, uh, Joseph Miller, the guy, the refugee, teaches Jefferson and one of his slaves, Peter Hemings, who is Sally's brother, he teaches him to brew beer. All right, cut the crap. I want to I see the face reaction yeah. when, you dry, when you try this thing. Just 10 to 12 more minutes, and I'm going to finish this story. <laughs> so Jeffer- Jefferson entrusts the business of craft brewing to Peter Hemings. Um, and in 1814, after Miller has left, they started using corn to brew the beer. And that's what Blood of Tyrants is. It is a post-1814 Jefferson recipe. Jefferson did not keep any specific recipes. He said he didn't brew from a recipe. This recipe is reconstructed based on what he purchased and the quantities of beer that he brewed with what he purchased. Oh, they had to back into the recipe. Yeah. And he was brewing massive amounts of beer, like like hundreds of gallons. I've I've still I, I've got to see when you taste this. I just I, I honestly can't. All wait. right, here we go. I mean, the first thing we're going to find out is if it's even carbonated, because all you can do is put it in the bottle with the sugar and just hope that the yeast is in there eating the sugar and carbonating your beer. All right, here we go. Oh, oh it made a it sound. made the sound. It made it's the sound. Carbonated. Wow. <laughs> First step, success. All right, here it comes. 
Oh, the pour. That looks like beer. It's got a lot of carbonation yeah. in it. Wow. Oh, man, this is so exciting. This is a, I've never made beer before, Eddie so this like is the first time. looks like a kid on Christmas, time. i got to tell you. <laughs> you look like this Ralphie is... after he got his Red Rider. Yes, that is ex- <laughs> that is literally exactly how I feel, and without the rabbit costume. Yeah, don't put your eye out when you drink that. Yeah. All right, here we go. I'm going <laughs> to taste it. It smells good. Do it. It's got a surprisingly good head on it. I'm got good color. It. And we may not get Eddie back after this. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Oh, he's tasting it. Wow. Tell Man. us. Come on. It's actually outstanding. Wow. Really? Yeah. It's really good. It, I mean, this is, I, I thought it was going to be gross for sure, but this is actually an excellent beer. Well, well give us, give us the, the, the highlights and the, the undertones of the, of the draw. Uh, I would say, I, I would say that it's, um, it's puckish yet sincere. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, he's, he's really drinking it now. <laughs> oh, man. He's not it's going so to good. a beer, yeah. He's going to drink that. I'm going I'm, I'm to come see y'all next weekend. I'm yep. going to bring yes. you each a bottle of this. You're going to like it. It's we can't good. Wait. Well, Scott will like it. I will drink it. So, so I get to drink Matt since it's obviously not cider. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, are we going to get to an election or what? We're just going to watch Eddie drink beer all night? All right. On to the election. The election of 1812. The election of 1812, as Scott informed us, James Madison, father of the Constitution, versus Mr. DeWitt, Mike Seaver's principal. DeWitt Clinton, right? Dude, I, that was a joke, but it just we, bombed we t- hard. No, no, I got it. I got it. Oh, <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> it's even worse if you got it. I'll put a laugh track on. Let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if Matt understood it. All right, so you remember the Embargo Act and Oh, Grab Me? Yes. Well, the Embargo Act, as we know, disaster. It essentially cut off trade with the whole world and economically decimated New England. Yes. Add to that the fact that it didn't really work. So in the last few days of Jefferson's presidency, that bill is replaced with the Non-Intercourse Act, which... I think I signed one of those when I got married. <laughs> and and it was ratified shortly after our second child. It's been highly successful too, I'm sure. Been very successful in our house. Uh, <laughs> there's there's no recovery from that. <laughs> wow. That was the best moment in the history of the show. Yeah. We might as well pack it all up now. Nobody's going to say anything else that perfect. Costanza, I'm out. High note. So where was I? Non-intercourse? Yeah. <laughs> that bill is replaced with the Non-Intercourse Act, which opens trade up to all countries except Britain and France. So why didn't they do that to begin with? I can't tell you. So they didn't want the, the economy to totally rebound since the two the other two largest economies in the world was the two that they excluded. Yeah. It's at least better than what they had before, which was let's true, shut true. down trade altogether. All right. So now we have the non-intercourse. <laughs> but still. <laughs> All right. 
Madison has to deal with the problem that sank Jefferson's second term, which is that the British and French are attacking American ships and impressing seamen. What? <laughs> During the non the non intercourse act, I can tell you what. Did you say suppressed or <laughs> impressing? <laughs> All right, so now Madison has to deal with the exact same thing that totally sank Jefferson's second term. And this is going to lead us from the beginning of Madison's presidency to this is all going to be a march up to the War of 1812. To understand the War of 1812, you have to understand what America was like at this time, like at the beginning up until a certain point. Because people imagine that the American colonists were over here on this continent and they were just hanging out all alone. You know what I mean? Like, they defeated the British in the Revolution and then there was just America all by itself. But that's not how it was at all. Surrounded by other people everywhere on every single side. Uh, There were still British colonies on the continent. They just weren't in what we call America today. They were in Canada. Canada started out French. Then after the Seven Years' War, they belonged to Britain. And Canada is not going to free themselves from Britain as quickly as we did. They are not going to have full independence until... Does anybody know what year? I do not. Take a guess. How long do you think it took Canada to get... Full independence from Great Britain. The same independence that we won in 1776. It took them... Uh, it was probably, probably mid-80s. More than 100 years after us. Did you say mid-80s? Mid-80s. Of mid-1980s? <laughs> 1980s. 1982. Nice. Well nice. done. Did you actually know that? or? Yeah. I got a good opinion. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's Canadian. All right, so we've got uh, British Canada up there. Now, Ben Franklin insisted at the end of the Revolutionary War that we should not agree to end the war unless Britain gave us those Canadian colonies. But Jay went out, worked out a treaty with the British. He didn't get that. So we have to deal with those British colonies up there in Canada. West of our 13 uh, 13 states in America is a bunch of land that the British, uh, this was before we bought the Louisiana Territory and got all that land. Right. It's a bunch of land that the British set aside as Native American reserve. And this is before the French came to own it somehow? Yeah, yeah. It went uh, back and forth, uh, the British, the Spanish... And then the French, and then the French sold it to us, even though it was in violation of their treaty with the Spanish. But Napoleon didn't care about stuff like that. Napoleon was like, I want to sell it to you. Ra, ra, ra. That's what, that's I what love the French when we break out the French sound. accents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want a money? <laughs> it's okay because I'm French, so. I will sell it to you for cheap. If you ever get a chance, put in the DVD of Tombstone and watch it dubbed in French. <laughs> it's amazing. Is there a different ending of everyone giving up? <laughs> All right, so to our south, so to the west we have 
um, lots of Native Americans, uh, different tribes to the south. We have La Florida. And part of La Florida is disputed now. Because, oh, the beer's making me kind of burpy. That's why my voice keeps sounding weird. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. So really, Florida has been in has been in question and disputed over since 1812. Yes. And now nobody wants it. So we think that we own West Florida now because we bought it in the Louisiana Purchase. That panhandle we say belongs to us. The Spanish say, no, it absolutely does not. That is our panhandle. It's not really mi- mineral rich, you'd say. It's probably, it, probably the ideas of, of the Democratic Republicans, it would be a great place to put casinos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good idea. When we end up uh, in a war with the British, they enlist the help of the Native Americans. So we have a Western Front uh, and a Northern Front where we're trying to fight against uh, Native Americans and we're fighting against the British. This is where a bunch of different presidents sort of converge onto this 1812 story. It's amazing. Okay. Up in the Indiana Territory, we have the governor of the Indiana Territory, a guy named William Henry Harrison. He's going to be president someday. Yes, for 31 days. He's going to be president <laughs> some 31 days. Right. So William Henry Harrison is he's buying as much land from the Native Americans as he possibly can because we can't really settle the West because uh, you start to go out West and the Native Americans... Uh, believe that even though we bought it from the French, they don't care about that. They they are there, and that's their land. So William Henry Harrison starts buying it. President. He's increasing his own territory at that point. It's all becoming part of the Indiana Territory? Yes. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, it really already is, technically. Yeah. Gotcha. Because we, so you got it. And then Tecumseh, are you familiar with Tecumseh? Yes. Okay, so Tecumseh comes along, and he says... Uh, you can't buy this land. It doesn't count if you bought this land because nobody can sell Indi- Indian land unless all of the tribes agree on it. And so William Henry Harrison is like, all right, well, let's talk about it. You come here, you talk to me, we'll see what we can work out. So Tecumseh shows up and he brings with him a cadre that's basically an army. But they don't They don't end up in a fight. I, I, William Henry Harrison. There, he has people there, but he doesn't have any militia there or anything like that. So I mean, they can't defend themselves. So it ends up uh, not going full-blown. You know, it doesn't turn into a mess. Okay, so Tecumseh. <laughs> what is in that beer? What is, what is in that? Sorry to say, man. <laughs> right? It's not the beer. I'm just, just making me all burpy, and then I got to stop talking. <laughs> Uh, where were? Oh yeah, so so he's got this thing going on with Tecumseh. They're a little bit worried about each other. So the next time that he goes out to talk uh, with Tecumseh, because Tecumseh is putting together um, a bunch of Indian tribes, and he's going to put them into a confederacy and be the leader of the confederacy of uh, Indian tribes. They're going. He wants to do exactly what the United States did. They had a bunch of different colonies, 
They came together in a confederacy, and they won their independence. It's exactly what Tecumseh wants to do. He wants to put the tribes together, win their land and independence, and say, this is ours. We're going to be here. He's kind of like a Braveheart-type character, if you've ever seen He's like William Wallace. Oh, yeah. So the next time Henry, William Henry Harrison goes out to meet him, he takes with him an army because he did not like what happened last time. He felt like he was going to get shot. He felt like uh, they were just going to get massacred. So this time he brings an army. Well, this time the most effed up thing in all of American history happened. Got to hear this because there's been a lot. Yeah. This is crazy. Okay. So Tecumseh has this brother called the Prophet. And the what? The Prophet. Oh. Yes. He's the Prophet because he had this dream that he met the Great Spirit and that the Great Spirit told him Native Americans can't be wearing Western clothes anymore and that they can't use Western money and they have to go back to their old ways. So uh, a few guys in the tribe say, you know what? You didn't really talk to the Great Spirit. This all sounds really made up. So he has them killed. That sounds like a good way to silence people. Yeah. Suicided themselves. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) They got Epstein. All right, so the prophet is there, and he's going to be the one to greet William Henry Harrison because Tecumseh is off trying to get all the tribes to sign on to his idea. So the prophet decides that they are going to attack the Americans. And he makes this brew, and he gives it to all his, uh, all the other people who are there, all the people in his army, and he tells them that it will make them invincible. We got to make some of that beer. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so he makes a beer. I uh, said brew. I don't know. <laughs> it gets more like a uh, magical witch's brew. Okay, so he gives the people the brew. They drink it. They go rushing out. And they end up in a huge fight with William Henry Harrison's army. There's about the same amount of damage done on both sides, but uh, William Henry Harrison's army just burns down the entire village, like just raises it. That's the story of Tippy Canoe. Of course, the, the Indians start to run away when they realize that the brew's not magic. And <laughs> Whoops. And they are not invincible. So they start to run away when they realize that they're not invincible. When Tecumseh gets back and everything has been destroyed, Tecumseh says to his brother, Yo, what did you do? (laughs) I leave you in charge for one day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the prophet starts making these issues. He said, Oh, you know, I, I had made this brew that, that the Great Spirit told me was going to make everybody invincible. <laughs> but when I blessed it with these beads, I didn't realize that my wife had touched the beads. And, and she was menstruating at the time. And if no, a woman is no. menstruating, then she's <laughs> unclean. So she ended up ruining the magic. Ugh. And Tecumseh is like, bro, no, stop. Blaming the wife early on. I like it. 
No one's buying this load of crap. (laughs) (laughs) But this will go down in American history because, of course, uh, the Battle of Tippy Canoe is where uh, William Henry Harrison got his nickname, Old Tippy Canoe. It's going to be a big deal during the election of... Say 18... (laughs) 18 something. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. I tell you what, without the, without Tipping Canoe, we we wouldn't have had such a great nickname for those thirty one hours that he was president. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tyler too. Tippy Canoe and Tyler too. That's the that's the campaign slogan. Yeah, it's a song. We're gonna hear the song when we get to that election. Oh. We're gonna hear the song. Are you gonna sing it, Eddie? I'm not going to sing it, but I have an MP3 file oh. that is podcast safe. That's that's part of the lead up to the War of 1812 as well. William Henry Harrison becomes this big hero because of what happened at Tippecanoe. So here's what happens next. They pass another bill after the Non-Intercourse Act. And this one is called Macon's, Macon's Second Bill. And this bill makes it so that James Madison has the power to restore trade. <laughs> <laughs> Madison can restore trade with Great Britain or France at any time if they agree to uh, stop attacking our ships and impressing American seamen. So France says that they're going to do it. And so Madison lifts the embargo on France just based on their word. I mean, Napoleon is not going to lie to you, so... Clearly. He says, okay, France is in the clear. I'm restoring trade with France. Now it's just Great Britain. Now, wait, who who does that? Madison does that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The Congress gave him the power to do that. Ordinarily, at this time, the president can't do that just on his own. Right. He has to be given that power by Congress. Yeah. So, now it's just us and the British he that really are really fighting. He really pissed off fighting. the Brits at that point. Yes, the British are pissed off anyway. I think they, um, I think they largely want to go to war. I think they're very worried that we're trying to take Canada because Canada has awesome resources. Right. They have all these trees. And, and Canada's up to here with trees. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Mazel tov. Oh. Throw it. Man, that was amazing. I can't believe how good it was. Yeah, you did not waste any time. Actually, you drank that right. kind of slowly. That, that how, how much do you have left there? Done. That, yeah. Oh, man, you're going to need to cross the Delaware and get some more. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, so um, why do we end up in the War of 1812? We've been marching towards it. We've been marching towards it. Now it's just us in Britain because France has said, you know what, we're going to leave you all alone. We're going to leave your ships alone. It's fine. We don't need to plunder them anymore. Well, one big aspect of it is that, you know, obviously America is being pounded economically by the embargo. So what happens? Everybody's sick of it, especially in the North, especially in the Northeast. Everybody's just sick of it. They hate it. So they send, during the midterm elections, they send Warhawks. To Congress. Gotcha. Now, for for our listeners, Warhawks are... Your John Boltons, your Dick Cheney's, your John McCain's. This is actually when John McCain originally won his seat. 
See, I got that joke. Most notably, uh, John C. Calhoun gets sent to the House of Representatives. Famous Warhawk. Yep. He's going to be an important character in the Congress for the next 40 years after this. These folks are ready to go to war with Britain. Is that why they're sent there? Yeah, that's why the people sent them. They, yep. they are tired of the messing around. They want war uh, because it's crushing, it's crushing the Northeast. Now, on the Democratic-Republic side, Republican side, you have tons of people who are anti-war. Well, they're, they're obviously more self-sufficient, right? I mean, they're, they're agrarian. They're in the South. They're not as reliant it, on trade. Yeah, you got that exactly right. That's what it's all about is whether or not you're agrarian or you are reliant on trade. Because if you're reliant on trade, you are getting destroyed. But you're not most of the country, so nobody cares that you're getting destroyed. Gotcha. All right, so that's one of the big reasons is uh, midterm elections, people send them. So it's getting closer and closer to war. Now, in the summer of 1812, that's when Madison uh, sends to the Congress, asks them to declare war. But most of the War of 1812 takes place after 1812. Interesting. Yes, but the actual declaration comes out in 1812, and that's what makes it the War of 1812. But really, it's the War of the End of 1812, 1813, and 1814. Well, does it start before Madison wins his second election? or, or second It does. Time? Okay. It do- well, it, start- it starts a little bit, yes. Basically, Madison picks this guy to be a general because he's got to make a decision here. We now have a military academy at West Point. So if you're going to pick a general, you can either get a guy who's in his 60s and has experience from the Revolutionary War, or you can pick a guy who's in his 20s and has no actual war experience but has been to West Point. Ooh, I think I know who this guy is. Who? I'm just going to guess Andrew Jackson. I don't know for sure. No, no, no. Not Andrew Jackson yet, but Andrew Jackson is involved in all of this, and he's going to be a key figure in the War of 1812. Was it La This guy's name is uh, General William Hull, I believe. H-U-L-L. And he is, he is about 60 years old. He was a lieutenant colonel during the American Revolution, so they asked him to suit back up as a general. To go to Detroit, from Detroit, go up into Upper Canada, and take over Upper Canada. And the guy's like, that's going to be easy. I don't even need troops to go and take over Canada because I'll just show up and I'll say, hey, Canadians, (laughs) I'm going to free you from the British and they'll just join me. Okay. So he goes to Detroit. He's got 1,200 militiamen with him. He goes up into Canada. He immediately, frightened by the uh, Native Americans, he's afraid the Native Americans are going to come and take them out. So he goes back to Michigan. Well, the general on the British side chases him back to Michigan, and the British sack Detroit. And the guy gives it up. He gives up Detroit without even firing a shot. There was a literal white flag and everything. They made a white flag to take out there and wave in front of the British. And the um, 
the officer that he gave the flag to and said, go wave this and give up to the British, said, I'm not, I'm not freaking doing that. He was like, <laughs> I'm not a coward. I'm not going to go wave a white flag. We haven't even fought yet. So then he takes the white flag, he gives it to his son, and he lets his son take it out. The point of all that, when the War of 1812 gets started, it does not start well for us. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad sign. So, we have the election, and the Democratic-Republican caucus has broken into two caucuses. Okay. So it's like in Congress today, we have the Tuesday group, which is all like the moderate Republicans. And then we have the Freedom Caucus, which is all the really, really conservative Republicans, right? Right. So what we have at this time in 1812, we have a Democratic-Republican caucus that is the Southern Democratic-Republicans. And then we have one that's the New York Democratic-Republicans. That's the Aaron Aaron Burr type folks? I've, it would be unfair to lump them in with Burr, who is a disaster of a human being. And <laughs> at this time, he's in Europe under an assumed name. I think he's going by H.E. Edwards at this point in Sweden or France or something. But yeah, it's the, uh, it's the Burr style of Democratic-Republican. Actually, we'll call them the Clintonians. They choose DeWitt Clinton to be their candidate. So now we have two Democratic Republicans. We got Madison. We got DeWitt Clinton. They can do that, apparently. Yeah, they can do that. They, each caucus chose its own person. Democratic Republicans are not united right now. Gotcha. Here's where it gets kind of crazy. The Federalists, the Federalist caucus decides that they would not mind if DeWitt Clinton won. Yeah, and they're tired of dominating Pickney. I mean, he's, he's, he's never won an election ever. This time, they decide to go with nobody else. But they tacitly endorse DeWitt Clinton. But let's secretly support a Clinton. Exactly. So sort of like the DNC leadership during the Bernie Clinton <laughs> election. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So... They decide they can't actually come out and say, you know what, we're gonna go, we're gonna go with DeWitt Clinton too. We're gonna, we endorse him. They can't say that because they got guys running not at the federal level for all these other seats, so they can't go out and say, oh yeah, we're endorsing DeWitt Clinton. So they just pick nobody. They don't endorse DeWitt Clinton, but it's tacitly understood that that is the candidate that they back. And how do they do that? I mean, do they just tell their folks to vote for him, or is there stuff in the press, or or how are they going after uh, Madison to try to get uh, Clinton elected? Madison gets crushed in the press up until war is declared. And then once war is declared, there's a very big rally-around-the-flag effect. So it's it's very similar to what would happen in, in the last— 10 or 20 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's exactly the same. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually much more pronounced back then. You have, like, Democratic-Republican rioters who just, I mean, they go nuts. They, they actually kill someone rioting because a paper published in an anti-war 
uh, article or something. They just go nuts and they rush the building and tear it to the ground. They kill a revolutionary war hero for being a part of it. It's it's pretty nasty stuff. Wow. Yeah, it's very Jacobin so, behavior. So is there a chance then that, that Madison is not going to win or at least have a very tough contest until this war breaks out? I would say that since 1804, it's been sure that a Republican was going to win. Like Jefferson, his second time, you knew he was going to win. There was just no chance. Madison, his first time, you knew he was going to win. There was no chance. Now there really is sort of a chance that DeWitt Clinton could have won this. But he makes a, they make a huge campaign, or they make a huge mistake campaigning on his behalf. Because they go different places and they say different things. Because, like, they go somewhere and they say, oh yeah, he's, he's against the war. They go and campaign for him somewhere else. They say he's for the war. So there's no consistent messaging across the board. Right, it's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. It's, it's, oh yeah, he'll be whatever you want him to be. So he really, he really is living up to the name Clinton here. <laughs> All right, so uh, Madison has as his running mate Elbridge Gary. That sounds very familiar, actually. I was going to ask you if you've ever heard of Elbridge Gary. Never heard of him. All right, I'll give you three reasons that you may have heard of him. Okay. Number one, he signed the Declaration of Independence. Mm. The only Elbridge to do so. Yeah, amazingly. Uh, reason number two, he attended the Constitutional Convention. Okay. I really feel like I know the number three reason. but, but maybe Yeah, not. I think it'll be the number three reason. Is it a different number, pronunciation? Yes. There you go. The number three reason it's more Jerry, is because Jerry. he passed a law that allowed a Massachusetts district to destroy the Federalists because it was drawn ridiculously in order to look like a salamander. And they named it after him, and they called it gerrymandering, or, as we always say today, gerrymandering. Wow. See, I do know a few things. Well done. Yeah. So who was running with Clinton at the time? Oh, oh, DeWitt Clinton's... um, Running mate. DeWitt Clinton's running mate was... Let me Google that. Jared Ingersoll. Oh, yeah, Ingersoll. Yeah, Jared Ingersoll. So where are we at in this election? Okay, so because DeWitt Clinton makes this major mistake, well, it's not really his mistake. It's really the surrogates campaigning on his behalf who make this, this mistake. But because his message is super inconsistent, and people are rallying around the flag. James Madison wins this one pretty handily, but this is the closest election we've had since 1800. James Madison wins 128 to 89. Uh, Louisiana voted for the first time in this election. Brand new state of Louisiana got to vote. They went Democratic-Republican. As we get all these new states, They're constantly voting Democratic-Republican. Well, in this election, they could have voted Democratic-Republican for either one, but you're saying they went for for Madison, right? 
Yeah, yeah, the the mainstream Democratic gotcha. Republican Party, not the, fringe, not the not the not the fringe movement. Yeah, not the phony offshoot. So, so tell us more importantly, what states Clinton won? Uh Clinton won New York, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, and half the districts in Maryland. What do we? What else do we need to know about this election? Okay. So, uh, Madison and Moreau were good friends. Uh, now, they haven't talked for years because Monroe worked out a treaty with the British that he believed was going to avoid a war. Madison, who was Secretary of State at the time, just basically said, no, forget it, we're not doing this, tore up the treaty. Monroe was pissed, would not talk to him uh, for several years. But yeah. once Madison apologizes, Monroe is going to step in. He's going to be the hero of the War of 1812. Doing what? what? What position does he have in that war? First, he becomes Secretary of State. One of the big problems that Madison has is that his secretaries of war are total buffoons. I mean, they are idiots. Yeah. They drop the ball big time. So when they're gone... Madison goes over, becomes Secretary of War and State at the same time. Basically, Monroe really takes Madison's takes Madison's presidency from him. So he pulls a little and Dick Ma Cheney with with George Bush. That's funny. <laughs> it's a little bit like that, except Madison is relieved to give it to him. Gotcha, gotcha. And the other big difference is. Uh, Dick Cheney, not a wildly popular character. Monroe is going to be the most popular president since George Washington. And he essentially takes the reins and, and doesn't really release them until he's done being president at that point. Yeah, which will be 1824. It's just, uh, again, it... it you have to feel a little bit bad for John Adams as the only guy to kind of blow the second second term. Yeah, he's the only he's the only person who didn't get reelected of the founding president. So here's how it goes: Washington, two terms; Adams, all only one term; Jefferson, two terms; Madison, two terms; Monroe, two terms; and then guess who the next one term president is? JQA. That's right. Another John, Adams. John Quincy Adams this <laughs> they, time. You think they would take he, a hint from that. So we got we got Monroe coming up the next election. What do we need to know about that? Give us a teaser for it. Oh, teaser for Monroe. I'm yeah. gonna go um I'm gonna go deep into the life of James Monroe because he is uh as I've said many times on this show before, possibly my favorite president of all time. I'll give you a little teaser about that. When they were crossing the Delaware, I've already said on the show that the guy right behind Washington in the painting holding the flag, that's Lieutenant James Monroe. Yep. When they get across the Delaware and they're on land, there's a battle with the Hessians and Monroe takes a musket ball to the chest, yes. nearly dies, but survives. When he's president of the United States, uh, he's going to travel all over the country on a goodwill tour, yep. and he is going to go back to that field, and he is going to stand in the spot where he was shot in the chest 
fighting for America's liberty 30 years earlier, and all the veterans who are there are going to clap. Beautiful moment in American history. What great political theater very early on. Yeah, I love it. All right. That's it. You're going to have a massive editing job. Oh, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm good all at right. that. I'll, fin- I'll, I'll wrap it up for you guys. Eddie, thank you so much for this uh, great episode. Matt, thanks a lot for doing the editing. If you haven't checked us out um, yet, please go to um, our social media outlets and subscribe. Um, would love to have you on as a subscriber to the show. Find us on Twitter at Election and Beer and on Facebook at Election and Beer. And again, subscribe to us on iTunes and all podcast platforms. Every election and beer. 